Welcome to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thanks very much for downloading this. I'm Mark Stephen. In just about every type of animal breeding you care to mention, you find exactly the same argument. Which is more important, the dam or the sire, the dog or the bitch, the bull or the cow? The correct answer, in just about every case, is both. Both have a role to play. Both contribute to the health and vigour of the offspring. In this podcast, we're going to be looking at the issues surrounding female fertility in cattle, what affects fertility, how you manage different age groups, the importance of good maternal traits, tips in nutrition, bullying, so on. Sarah Pick is a beef scientist. Now, her posh title is Knowledge Exchange Programme Manager for the Agriculture and Horticulture Development Board. She grew up on a beef farm in North Yorkshire and has had a lifelong passion for the industry. She recently completed a Nuffield Farming Scholarship investigating heifer replacement strategies in suckler herds. Sarah, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, a great pleasure. And Finlay Munro farms roughly 400 head of cattle at Bilaldi near Tain in Russia. Now, they sell approximately 10 to 12 bulls each year, uh, some breeding females. They forward stores and finish the rest themselves. Finlay's a past chairman of the UK Aberdeen Angus Cattle Society Technical Committee and his farm won the title of Suckler Herd of the Year in 2004. I presume you're pretty busy at the moment by virtue of the fact we're doing this in the evening. Yes, uh, yeah, we're well, we've finished ploughing, we're trying to get sowing, feeding cattle, everything, yeah. Oh, well, but much, much obliged for you giving up your time anyway. Oh, it's no problem, it's no problem. Good man. Sarah, I'll start with you. What are the factors affecting female fertility? There are lots of factors that affect female fertility, but the three main ones are management. So that's how we look after our cows and heifers. You know, how are we feeding them, what body condition score they're in, and also how we're managing um, those replacement heifers. The second thing is genetics. If you're getting a lot of hard carvings, then that's going to reduce your fertility. And we also need to focus on those maternal traits as well. And the third thing is health. So obviously, if you've got a problem with BVD in your herd, that's really going to knock your fertility. And you need to think about reproductive health, not only for your females, but also for your bulls as well. So make sure you're doing um, pre-breeding soundness checks and, and getting your vaccination policy up to date. Those factors affecting fertility, how does that vary with the different age cohorts? So heifers really are the lifeblood of your suckler herd. So they're really the key uh, ones that we need to be focusing on. And those different factors, management, genetics and health, all play a part throughout their lifetime. So first of all, when we're thinking about breeding heifer replacements, obviously genetics plays a huge part there. Make sure you're selecting for those maternal traits. And then obviously the way we manage those heifers. So make sure that they reach 65% of their mature weight by 15 months of age so we can get them to carve at two. And then, of course, health plays a huge part. So make sure they're vaccinated, they're up to date with everything before you breed them. And Finlay, how do you go about selecting heifers? What criteria do you apply? The criteria we would apply is that uh, first and foremost, we would apply, we, we, we would work with a point system and we would apply a point to 
any animal that or any potential heifer replacement that comes from a good productive family. If the dam and the grand dam have been in the herd, had a faultless production record, that would be one point. We would apply a point then for good live weight gain. We scan the pedigree portion of our herd. There's 90 of the cows are a pure Angus. So a good live weight gain and a scan would give them another point. We would apply a further point for any proven bull or sire of the daughters. In other words, if we already have some nice young daughters coming along from the bull, that would be another one. After that, myself and my son go through them visually. The visual appraisal is particularly important. You can overstress it, certainly, but we would be looking to get anything out of the way straight away that has bad legs, temperament issues, anything like that, anything bully looking. You want to watch out for, you know, rough shoulders, really anything that isn't looking properly feminine. There's a, there was a South African scientist, Jan Bonsma, from a long, long time ago. He was particularly good at reading an animal. I have a, a couple of his books, and it's difficult to describe perhaps on a podcast, but it would, certainly I would advise anyone to Google him and look up a lot of his stuff. It is dated, certainly, but you know the things that you can't perhaps describe here would be a, you would avoid hard, steady coats. We would be looking at animals that would shed hair early on. That would be it. To do all that, I mean, that's, that's really quite a comprehensive list that you've come up with. Your record keeping must be pretty good. How do you keep those records? What system do you use? We have a, an SAC a program, but I, my son has put together something based on Excel so that it, it keeps it an awful lot simpler and we can pull information from that. Okay. And Sarah, your Nuffield scholarship took you around the world, Australia, New Zealand, Canada. What's the latest thinking in all these various areas about the links between nutrition and fertility? Nutrition really is key. And, uh, you know, like you say, I went to all these different countries and actually what I came back with is the basics, that it's just about getting those basics right. And one of those is nutrition. So the way we manage those heifers and feed them has a huge impact on uh, whether they are able to carve at two, which we all know is a huge driver of profitability within the suckle herd. Nutrition also has a huge impact on conception rates and particularly in those heifers. If we don't get nutrition right, we will struggle to get those two-year-old heifers back in calf again to calve within 365 days. So it really is crucial. Fidley, in your herd, how individualised is the diet? I mean, you know, how, how animal specific are you sort of targeting the nutrition? It would depend, really. We would follow the, the body condition as much as anything. I've read Sarah's Nuffield Scholarship, and it's very good. I would, I would suggest that anyone go and have a look at it. It would certainly very, be a very useful for someone who hasn't worked with two-year-old calving to date. She mentions various targets, like, you know, 65% um, body weight, I think it is, before bullying. That one can sometimes put hill guys off. So, and I would say to folk that, Compensatory growth can pull in. I don't get too worried if we've had a bad season or the, the calves have had a poor summer eh, the previous season. You can catch up a lot. The important one would be to be at 80-85% of the mature weight when they give when they actually give birth. Because that from then onwards, it is not the first calf that is difficult to get that I have found, certainly. It is getting the second calf. 
the second calf is the tricky one to get yeah. and the key to the whole thing. You might get a second calf when she is four years old, but she 10 to one, she'll be too fat by then. So the second calf is the important one. You'll get them in calf, crikey, you know, you get them in calf by accident at two years old, calving down at two years old. But getting the second calf out of them at three years old is the key to the whole thing. So that first winter, making sure that they get a chance to grow on, because you're asking them to have a calf, continue growing, and get back in calf again. Yeah, 100% agree. And this is where nutrition really comes into play. I've worked with producers who have uh, thought that uh, slimming those heifers down, those first calved heifers before they carve is, is the right thing to do because it will reduce calving difficulties. But actually that has a huge impact on getting those heifers back in calf for the second time. And this is because what research has found is that it's the pre-carving nutrition that has a much bigger impact on when that heifer will come back cycling again than post-nutrition. So if you thin those heifers down too much, you won't get them back into the right body condition in time for bulling. And not only does it affect conception rates, but it can also impact on colostrum quality. And it can also increase uh, calving difficulties as well, because those heifers just lack the energy to, to push that calf out. So nutrition is crucial around that time. Couldn't agree with you more. What's your regime, Finlay, your sort of pre and post calving? What do you do? In the run up towards calving, but a month before they would uh, get a rotavec corona or an, um, a, a voxin for a clostridial disease, and they would be bolused. We would have issues uh, on the ground that we run the cows with a uh, a shortage of copper, cobalt, selenium, and iodine. The selenium in particular, if, if these basic things aren't in place, it doesn't matter what your system is and what you try to do, you, you're really going to struggle to get anywhere. That, for an individual farm, will change uh, you know, from area to area, and obviously that would need to be something that you would, you know, if, if you were coming to this newly, you would need to look at... Um, you know, blood testing cattle or something to find out what the issues were on a specific enterprise. Post-calving, not an awful lot. They carve outside and we wouldn't mix them with cows. I think that is possibly a crucial one, either when you're overwintering them just prior to calving or after calving. Cows will bully a heifer away from any feed. You need to keep them away. It doesn't need to be anything complicated. We're very fortunate we can take second calvers and calving heifers and have them actually in, in sheds now. But before that, we would have a feed ring and they could be in the same field. It could be a stubble field or a kind of outrun on a hill. And, you know, electric wire, if they have their own ring, that's all they really need. Finley, have you any idea in what way these minerals actually assist in, in an easy calving? Why does that work? Beyond the fact that everything is balanced, I think selenium perhaps is the most important one because, first of all, you have a lively calf. If a calf is doer even inside the cow, it might not present itself correctly. They need to go get that position where the legs are forward and the head is too. Weak calves, you'll end up having to pull them out and you know align everything up. The animal itself, the cow, the calf bed, if she is short of selenium, there's muscle issues, tautness, just it's weak. It can't push. You're also talking about 
well, kind of lubrication, if you want to call it, and call it very basic. If you have good nutrition, your cows will be wetter and they'll cough them out much easier. We changed boluses from what we were originally using. And we found that we had a couple of years till we really figured out what was going wrong. We had more calvings assisted and we replaced the bolus, went back to us very similar to what we were using before and the issue disappeared. How difficult is it to spot infertility? I would have said it's quite simple. Your calving percentage at the end of the day is your bread and butter. You need to be into the 90s and well into the 90s if you can. If you're finding it drifting beyond that, then there's either subfertile cattle in the system somewhere. The subfertility could be within the cow herd itself, or it could be the bull. Investigating that can be a little bit tricky, but very often it comes back to masculinity. And the masculinity is inherent with, well, you would almost blame it on the Europe grid the push towards um, an awful lot of terminal traits within the UK industry, it has no doubt, I think, lowered the fertility in the UK herd. Would you agree with that, Sarah? Yes, definitely. I think as an industry, we've been uh, selecting for terminal traits for, for a number of years. Your growth rates keep getting uh, better. The carcass weights keep getting bigger, but unfortunately, fertility is, has stagnated for many years. And, and when I was uh, traveling with my Nuffield, I met um, a Canadian researcher, and he actually said that maternal traits are worth five times that of terminal traits to suckler producers. So that really shows we need to try and put more emphasis on, on those maternal traits. When you were looking for maternal traits in an animal what do you mean by that you know what 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 makes a good mother a calf every year she has to have the calf she has to own the calf you can't have something that'll just wander off in the half have to be soaked you know she has to have a good udder that is correct not something that's sort of dangling there you need her to continue to rear the calf in other words you know an animal that loses milk halfway through the season is no use and she has to get back into calf again and she has to do all this without creating a fuss so temperament is very very important again just on, on your travel Sarah is this what you found yeah definitely um, and what I heard is that as I was traveling around was this functional female and no matter which country I was in that was always referenced and that was a cow that calved unassisted every 365 days and reared a calf. One that was cheap to keep, so had low maintenance costs, which of course is related to cow mature size. And also longevity was also something that was hotly debated as well. So these heifers cost us a lot to develop them. You know, we don't see any returns from them until we sell their first calf, which is often when they're about three, when that heifer's about three years old. So they need to produce enough calves to, to cover that cost, which is on average about five calves. So they've got to remain in the herd long enough to, to do that. What we were talking about earlier about terminal traits, you know, if, if you imagine that as a pendulum, Sarah, you know, it, it swung so far. Is it starting to swing back again? You know, the... the, the, the almost extreme focus that was put on terminal traits. Is, 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 are people moving away from that? 
I think there's an acknowledgement of it. So we're seeing a, a clamp down of, of carcass weights with, with the processors. So I think that's maybe starting, um, people are starting to think about actually what is causing that and actually what impact is that having on my mature cow size as well. I know producers that I work with in my day job, they're looking and as has already been highlighted, looking at the data, looking to see which is their, are their biggest cows and if they are producing a bigger calf at weaning, because obviously that's a, that's a huge cost if you're keeping a bigger cow, but she's not actually producing more calf weight at weaning. And I think farmers are also getting to grips with their cost of production um, and understand that if they are to make money, that cow needs to have a calf every single year, every 365 days. So they realise that those maternal traits are crucial. I'm always fascinated by this, Finlay. It's very much in farming. It's a case of what goes around comes around. What are you doing as a farmer nowadays that, say, your grandfather wasn't? The depth of record keeping would be greater. The staffing level is considerably lower. Although they would have had cattle that really wouldn't have required a great deal of intervention, it is now absolutely paramount that we have cattle that do not require a great deal of intervention. The arable side of the thing certainly is much, much greater in acreage and percentage than it would have been then. But the very basics, I suspect, are not so terribly different. What do you do with the beasts that don't make the grid? Down the road. Pure and simple. Pure and simple. We began with this question, Sarah, and I'm going to ask you again. Just summarise for me again the basics of female fertility in cattle. I mean, what you learned in your Nuffield scholarship. The basics of female fertility is getting that heifer uh, developed. Um, and that is, you know, focusing on, on management. So how we're looking after her, because how we manage her in those early stages has a huge impact on her lifetime performance. Genetics play a huge part. So make sure when you're buying bulls, you're using bulls with easy calving EBVs and really focus on those maternal traits as already highlighted, ease of calving, milk, age at puberty and also health. So make sure those that vaccination policies is in place. You're looking at, at BVD and other health problems and, and trying to eradicate those. So at the end of the day, if you can focus on developing those, those heifers, then that's the best way to improve your fertility. Listen, thank you very much to both of you. Uh, Sarah Pick and Finlay Munro, it's been nice speaking to you. No bother at all. Thank you. Thanks very much. Next week, we're going to be looking at how you go about giving your bull an MOT. Until then, I'm Mark Stephen. I hope you found this useful. And thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.